NFL Week 9 betting market outlook. I'm Brett Matthew at Deep Value Better with my co-host Judah Fortgang at Throw the Damn Ball. We're finally out of the month of October. How do you feel? I'm glad we're out of October. I was skeptical of October swoon that you described in Circa, but I think we're on to, to bigger and brighter things. This will actually be the first weekend where we have some pretty heavy buys. So we got Browns, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, Steelers, Niners. So that's three games off the board. So we have a much shorter slate. When we look at our week eight drive quality scoreboard, an X-ray looking through that realized final score to give us a better, more accurate sense of how the two teams performed on the field. Most of these scores lined up this week with the realized final score. The one that kind of stuck out to us was our Jaguars. Once again, we did not bet them this week though, which was savvy because we were flirting with it uh, on last week's pod and we were able to avoid that blow up once again. I slept through that early game, but when I woke up and you're explaining to me how the game went, it was just like, it's the same thing, just like a high leverage mistake that blows it. Lawrence throws an awful pick from first and goal to one. This has been the story of the year. Roughing the passer on a key interception. It just keeps biting them. They were winning for most of the game. It's just crucial mistakes, and the defense allowed a 60-yard play in the final drive, and Lawrence throws a pick on the first yeah. the first play of trying to come back. Yeah, so the Broncos won 21-17. Did, and covered the plus one and a half. Jaguars moved to two and six and don't cover yet another number as a favorite. Our drive quality scoreboard has the Jags winning 22 to 21, but still not covering that one and a half. Nope. A time weighted average margin plus two, a time weighted average win probability 63%. And these are the types of numbers though that we've seen consistently week in, week out with the Jags and it hasn't been generating any profits and we finally backed off of it just let it continue to see how it played out but what a great team to live bet against giving you just juicy opportunity after juicy opportunity to fade them in the first half first of all you could play it on both sides play it on the front yeah. end betting the Jags and then fade them in the second, there's probably a lot of betters out there ripping up their Jags division tickets, which was certainly a hot bet over the off season. Not ripping. It's not ripping. No, not ripping yet. I'm not ripping even, yet. Yeah, it's, it's not rip time. If you even look at the odds for the division, I think the last time I saw it was like plus 500, which I mean, yeah. that's very low considering the current spread between yeah, they're, the division they're leaders of the six. Titans and the Jags. They still have two, two games against the Titans. Titans still have a difficult schedule as to the Jaguars, but that's very revealing. And it's not as if the Titans are, it's not the NFC South. The Titans are five and two. There's still some long-term bullish look on the Jags. I think you have to tie back a little bit of the expectations on Trevor Lawrence. The interesting framing that I saw, which I don't know if I agree with, but I thought it was an interesting thing to think about, which is that like, we should actually be viewing Trevor Lawrence as, this year as his rookie season just considering how disastrous last year was, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I think it's interesting framing. But either way, it's been bad. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Lawrence apologists out there trying to give him as much benefit of the doubt, given those very elevated yet unearned expectations. But one of the things I did want to mention was there was a lot of comebacks. We look at the time-weighted average margin for many teams that ended up winning the game outright. The Dolphins, time weight average margin, TWAM, minus five. The Patriots, just plus one. The Niners, just plus one. Washington, zero. Broncos, negative two. Ravens, minus one. And all those teams mounted a comeback and still ended up winning the game, even though that profile would suggest, for the most part, over the course of that game, they were either losing or there was a significant duration of that game where they were losing by a significant margin yeah so this goes to show a lot there was a lot of opportunities to generate profits live betting those that's games, what I was, we did yep we did it on the dolphins we did it on the patriots we did it on the niners i was hoping you'd bring that up in my mind at least it's like okay niners crushed the rams 
Patriots crushed the Jets. And you realize like that wasn't actually how the first halves played out. And I think it's important to have the foresight to know how games can turn out. And like, it would be very surprising for the Rams to have done what the Niners did to the Rams. And to know going into the game, I'm going to have that sense to, to pull the trigger live. It's just a, I think, these are good reminders of the value that exists live betting. Dolphins, time weight average win probability, 39%. The Niners, just 53%. Washington, 44%. Broncos, 37%. So just another metric to really demonstrate how these teams were at a deficit or trailing or expected to lose for a majority of that game. When we look at our week nine consensus market power rankings, Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Cowboys, Ravens in the top five, followed by the Niners, Bengals, Bucks, Vikings, and then the Dolphins into top 10. The Bucks at 8 still is remarkable to me. Yeah, still just a drip lower. Down two spots on the week. Standard deviation on them picking up a little bit. Our drive quality metric easily the lowest across industry analysts. We still have the Bucks ranked 18th from a drive quality perspective. ESPN 10th, PFF 6th. 538 11th, Football Outsiders 8th. So still mostly a top 10 team across the board. We have it them basically barely as a top 20 team. Some of the biggest movers on a week basis, Raiders down six spots, market very quick to fade the Giants once they get even a sliver of weakness, down three spots. Jags down another three spots. And then from an upside perspective, the Saints up five spots. So big delta there on, on that Raiders Saints game. I think the Saints is interesting. Realization that maybe Andy Dalton is a different the quarterback and maybe the Saints are a different team. And it, it just like escapes people's minds. It's like they lost a bunch. Like it's not a sexy pick. Uh, and then you look at a dominant performance and you start to unravel some of the deeper layers about the same stuff. But that was certainly an absolutely dominant performance. Like the Raiders had like two pressures all game and it was over from the start. And I think the Browns upgrade is also, they, they dominated the Bengals. So wacky first quarter, but other than that, the game was not close. And I think it voted that. There's been a lot of one score games for them, a lot of easy opponents, but the offense can still hang. Is it going to be great? No. Are the wheels totally coming off? Also, I wish we would have given the Saints a little bit more consideration last week because one of the things that we were calling out was that primetime performance on Thursday versus the Cards. So they were behind pretty much the whole time, but it was primarily due to those back-to-back -back pick sixes by Andy Dalton, who otherwise played pretty decent. And our drive quality scoreboard had the Saints winning that game versus the Cards and try to use that as signal. And that's the whole intention of it is to provide yeah. signal through noisy, realized final scores and be able to use these alternative stats in order to make more insightful future trades, future positionings. But the market is still relatively low on them. We see ranked 18th on the season. Standard deviation four and a half. So some pretty elevated disagreements still. Our drive quality has the Saints ranked as a top That's, 10 team. Exactly. And no one else does. So yeah. after that, ESPN is the highest on them at 13th. PFF the lowest on them at 24th. So pretty wide gap there. And that standard deviation really fine. The other team who we lost money on <laughs> was the Cardinals. And I know we want to reevaluate them and adding DeAndre Hopkins is a mean, meaningful addition. And so we can't necessarily look into our drive quality metric and see we have the Cardinals ranked 31st because that takes into a lot of consideration, obviously a team without DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. But we were monitoring that Vikings game pretty closely, bet them on the opener, had some of them on the alt line, leaned a little bit more into them as they went into a deficit. They came back, took the lead, 14-10. We didn't lock in any gains. And then we also wanted to try to take advantage of, which I like and still strongly I think was the right decision, 
was to lean into fading Vikings in second half. Vikings with a lead, can't hold a lead, that whole thesis. Yeah. But the Cardinals have been a clunky offense. And even with the addition of, of Hawkins, they just get blown out in this game if they don't have someone like you. Yeah. I mean, they were leaning on him and he was making one-handed catches in the end zone, just like letting Kyler play the backyard game. And either it's going to work or it's going to not. There, there are some interesting data points there that Kyler Murray was the best deep ball thrower in the league last year. He was also, in his rookie year, his sophomore year, top five by most efficiency metrics throwing deep. And this year he's like third to worst. I think that's probably a product of the Arians more than anything else. And I wish Hollywood Brown was back so I could really bet on that. But I do expect to see some improvement in that area. So the bottom side of the consensus market rankings, Texans at the bottom, consensus worst team in the league, very low standard deviation, less than one. Panthers at 31, Lions at 30th. Bears at 29th, Steelers 28th. To round out the bottom five teams of the league. Does that seem about yeah. right? Any mispricing think- here? Because this is where there could be good opportunity to take advantage of misevaluations. I'd flip the Colts and football team. And I think those top six are in a separate tier. The teams I think are bad. They're bad and I expect them to lose most weeks. Yeah. I think the rest enter a tier of like competency and like in this environment. The, like difference between the Jaguars and the Ravens, I don't think it's that large. I think there is a big gap though on the between those six teams: the Colts, the Steelers, the Bears, the Texans, Panthers. Those teams are bad. And then we look at teams with the largest standard deviation in market power rank, giving us a sense of how much disagreement is there across the way industry analysts are power ranking these teams. And we have a new number one team with the largest standard deviation, the Titans. Almost 10 spots. Our drive quality has the Titans ranked 20th, ESPN 22, PFF 7th, 538 5th, Football Outsiders 19th. In predict, again, more shorter term oriented, 28th. And also still huge disagreement around the Seahawks, the Colts, the Jags, and now the Rams as well in in the top five with that highest standard deviation. So you have football outsiders with the Rams at a market low, ranking them 24th. And you have PFF at a market high, ranking the Rams still in the top 10 at eighth. Any exploitable value here? trying to take advantage of the market, not knowing how to price these teams. Yeah, talk about this in my my reflection note, which will come out tomorrow. I think you almost have to lean into the fact that Gina Smith might be good. And there's something we may have missed in our expectation coming into the season. And like maybe quarterback play isn't as simple as we thought. Use the available evidence. Like it's not as if he's good in producing in unstable metrics, right? It's not as if he's getting lucky and that production is good. He's playing as a legitimate quarterback. Why is that going to automatically, like, why is it going to stop? What's going to change? That magically he's going to just return to his previous self. I know PFF, for instance, has a very strong prior in their quarterback, which is why PFF has the Rams and the Bucks so hot. Yeah. And that's a reason to sell the Rams. But just, it's a somewhat of, it's like a known quantity with Stafford. He's not playing well. Like, what, the offensive line's not good. What's going to change? And now Cooper Cup is picked up. And yeah. if he's anything less, than a full complement to that offense, that could break down fast. Yeah. And they're already bad. Already, by EPA standards, the worst offense in the league. Their secondary weapons aren't getting better. Allen Robinson's washed against Carbonics, their third receiver. Their defense hasn't been as good. I don't see why that would change. I do see the Seahawks as a team to buy. We have enough evidence from this season to suggest like they're gonna be good and i would need to see a couple bad games for me to kind of leap off that prior but i'm ready to buy them and even the colts like they're not the preseason team they're just not i think there's a lot of exploitable pricing throughout the board basically just because there are like three good teams five bad teams and a hodgepodge of others in between yeah i actually love just how again like because we're not manually tinkering or anything like that with these drive quality market power rankings this is just being spit out by the computer 
and but how it lines up so perfectly almost with how we actually see these teams from a relative positioning perspective again it's got an element yeah. of it's of been predicted course. on a forward-looking basis but yeah there there's an asterisk there no, the fact that it's not exactly aligned is good because that makes me think that like i'm not just basing my assumptions off what the computer says. Yeah. It's, it's a very good job branding you and sourcing where there might be some alpha to, to capitalize on yeah one um, interesting one that stuck out to me too was packers at 29th in drive quality so yeah a they're clear market low uh what's espn eighth pff 10th pretty much everyone has them as a top 15 team if not a top 10 team yeah <laughs> we have them right now priced as a bottom four team based right. on drive quality. which it makes sense in like even a more rewarding size like their defense has been amazing on third downs third and fourth downs like teams have a negative 0.4 epa that's like magnitudes worse than the worst nfl offense that's probably a little bit unstable it, it, there's a lot of, there are a lot of worrying signs but again everyone's sides aaron Rodgers, the packers i think there are some fundamental flaws the market's still gonna price them up there still gonna sell okay let's move into nfl week nine eagles texans on thursday night football eagles minus 14 opened up a little bit less than that but it's just been creeping up it's gonna take a lot of moxie to back the Texans even at 14 especially coming off a miserable game versus the Titans where they didn't even flirt with throwing the ball and Derrick Henry still just absolutely shredded them is 14 enough points do the Eagles care do the Eagles need to win do they take a 21 point lead in the half and then take the foot off the pedal and, and we've seen the Texans over the course of the season. Again, they put in a really bad game last week, but we've seen them over the course of the season be able to put some things together, especially in the second half and start covering some numbers. Or are we also at the point of the season where it's like full realization, we're not good, we're not going to the playoffs, no sneaky rallies or anything like that. Davis Mills certainly hasn't cemented himself by any means as the quarterback of the future. There's drama with Brandon Cooks. Lovey Smith could potentially be a one and done coach. Obviously the Eagles are far better than Texans. That goes to that saying. <laughs> I think it almost cancels out the, the back door. <laughs> yeah, if anyone disagrees there, that's a, tough, that's a tough call. The Eagles have struggled to extend leads. They take their foot off the gas, but like the Texans don't have interest in coming back either. I think it's the game against Colts, they punt on fourth and two from the 50 with eight minutes left. Ultra conservative. They're also not trying to take aggressive action to, to come back. I think they're, as kind of last week showed, they're just, they're coming in, they're coming out. They know it's a rebuilding year. I'm not comfortable backing the Texans at this stage, given their lack of urgency that they've shown in the second half of games. This total seems high at 45. Given it's a Thursday night game, I imagine this game is just going to be ugly. I don't necessarily see the Eagles like, just blowing the Texans out by 30, 45 seems pretty high. In the NFL prediction game, Lee Sharp's NFL prediction game, what are you gonna what do you put in the Eagles at? So the market has them as, at what, like 83 or 84, maybe 87%? Yeah. I'm gonna put them at 79. Whoa! You love the Texans then. No, I'm just not take, willing to take the risk of an 80, an 85. Sure. Well, there I, might be value, but it's not something I'm betting. I'm not betting blindly based on what my internals say. There has to be some good reason to trigger the bet. The best advantage sports bettors have over books is that we choose the bets. We don't have to bet every game. Yeah. Just getting way too cute by trying to bet the Texans. What's supporting the 14? It's just because there's going to be certain pro bettors out there, again, who bet in volume and are literally trying to win at a 54% clip. And they're just going to bet yeah. 14 because it's 14. Exactly. It that's, doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. One of the things I look for when I'm betting a 14 is, that, is there any scenario the Texans winning? I just, I don't see it. This is not even like a Bears Patriots type thing, which was obviously shocking. In a very volatile season with a lot of parody this is top three team versus what we have consensus worst team in the league exactly all right colts five and a half at new england over under 40 
I know this touched six, six and a half, maybe something like that at the, at the open. So gotten bid lower. Patriots were at a 10-0 deficit last week versus the Jets. Mac Jones throwing three picks, also under a ton of pressure. Five and a half seems like a pretty big number for a Patriots offense that isn't explosive by any means. What about an under first quarter? I'm looking at drive quality, scripted versus not scripted performance. And Colts certainly one of the worst teams from a scripted perspective, but Patriots also not very good at all. So in the bottom yeah. six. And I, I will add that both defenses also are pretty good scripted, which I think is a little more noisy than the offense part. It certainly helps the narrative. Under seven plus 105. Mm. Yeah. I like that. One of the things that worries me a bit with scripted stuff is a team like the Bengals, for instance, struggling scripted until they hit the 75-yard touchdown of Tyler Boyd against the Falcons. The Colts and Patriots don't have that punch. It's going to have to be marching up and down the field, and that's something that's a little more comforting betting it. Chargers minus three and a half plus 100 currently. So you can find some threes out there still at Falcons over under 49 and a half. I feel like it's time to buy the Chargers. How the script has turned. Me not willing to or wanting to back the Chargers, but you being comfortable with it. But there are two hesitations I have. Justin Herbert has not been the same quarterback since the injury. That's the first thing. Full stop. And this leads into the second point, but it's really just an extension of the first, which is like, Keenan Allen's unlikely to play. He set himself back during the bye week. Mike Williams is out. Who's he throwing to? And Herbert at his best can elevate anyone, but he's not playing that way right now. Justin Herbert checked down on 7% of his passes last year. He's first yeah. in the NFL and checked that rate at like 13%. Justin Herbert is not the guy you want checking down. And I think it actually is a decision-making thing where it's like, I, he's not, he doesn't want to take the hit. I don't think he's the same quarterback. He's legitimately not, he's not good. He's not been playing well. And I think we have to, we can't just say, oh, because it was good in the past, it'll be good in the future. We gotta kind of understand the present situation and I don't think it speaks well for the Chargers. I like the under, honestly. Yeah, this is one of the highest. That's 49 and a half. I'm probably going to take an alt under. This is one of the plays we've been talking about offline, which is taking an alternate, alternate under. Let's say you get like a plus 200 on a 45 and a half, 44 and a half. If the first quarter goes your way, right? at a certain point, if that line moves down, right, you can have the intention of hedging off that. And certainly if the game script kind of allows, and you can see why, does Herbert look comfortable? Does Herbert look like he's returning back to his old form? And then you can get out or you can let your ticket ride. I love those strategies. One of the things that we've been leveraging from a live betting perspective is coming up with a hypothetical script to try to isolate entry opportunities at attractive prices, but not necessarily coming up with a two-sided trade in the sense of trying to time an entry within an expectation of an exit. Usually right. we're just trying to get good prices and then letting it ride and trying to just be directionally right on the outcome and not trying to capitalize on intra-game volatility, which is a whole nother element of a trading strategy and is a true trading strategy, not just being a value better, which is what we've more or less been doing with the live betting is trying to find deep value opportunities leverage into those and then capitalize meaningfully if the directional bet pays off but yeah, we should try to be more opportunistic around leveraging into these deep out of the money alt lines that are plus 350 plus 400 off the bat or somewhere else in the game and then as that moves down 250 points or whatever then you can just bet it on the other side. And the best thing is it's low probability, but if you mitigate your risk and basically make it a risk-free bet, and you create a three or four point middle opportunity, you create like jackpot scenario. I was gonna say, also the middle part is huge to this. Yeah. And it's a matter of timing. And if you wanna talk about edge, right? You're manipulating different points in time. Because when the sports book is pricing one thing, they have an endpoint. And you as the better can manipulate that endpoint 
and create edge by manipulating the timing. That's huge. Yeah. There's a ton of value in that. And one of the things we were talking about offline that we want to put together is to be able to create these these volatility curves for each one of these teams to see how they're priced from an alt line perspective and overlay that with this team's propensity to be volatile, to extend lead, evaporate leads, collapse factor and a comeback factor. And to what extent can they do that and at what magnitude? Because then that can give you a framework to help understand more precisely where you want to leg in to those alt lines specific to the matchup, specific to the team, and not using a one size fits all approach for every game and every matchup and every team, because that's not going to be as precise right now. We're just more or less eyeballing it. Just giving, using giving away own. our secrets. Yeah. I can also still edit this out. Okay. Dolphins at bears, dolphins minus five. Man, this number keeps creeping higher. Yeah. I think it was like three, three and a half, then it was four, now five. At 45 and a half was the total. And we were talking with Corey at Clars24 on Twitter, thinking that this could be a potential under opportunity. There's a potential weather element as well. We're still several days out. That can definitely change. It's supposed to be like super windy. That's the forecast. And we know if wind reaches a certain level, 20, 25 miles per hour, when you reach that certain threshold is when it does actually materially impact the total. The material impacts the total because it really limits the passing game. And that's been a staple of the Dolphins offense, the intermediate yeah. passing game. That's a very interesting angle to, to monitor. And also, if you want to talk about wind, I don't think that's probably being priced in right now. If you want to talk about the buying something now to sell at a later point, the total is not moving. You can either get out now, or if there's a chance that this total drops down to 42, 41, as a result of the wins, you can essentially cash out the closing line value. Basically saying this bet is just on the wind actually being legit. Yeah. And if not, like, great, you still have an under that you like. I think this number is a little bit artificially high. One of the things that we talked about last week was the Dolphins have star power on offense. And you feel like basically what they did versus the Lions, that they should be able to do that every week, but they don't. Yeah, Pretty no. much they did it versus the Lions. First of all, they didn't do it in the first quarter even during the Lions. Again, when we looked at the time weight average margin, it was negative for them. I feel like people have already forgotten that they were down 21 to seven and couldn't put points on the board versus a terrible Lions defense. And of course they uncorked it in the second half and then the Lions couldn't stop them at all. But then outside of that game and outside the second half versus the Ravens, the Dolphins haven't been putting up 30 points a game. No. And we just saw no. the and Bears those... defense blow up versus the Cowboys. So I think people are saying, oh, now the Dolphins are going to do that versus, versus the Bears. It's an interesting litmus test, which is we talked about the matchups for the Dolphins. You said the two games, I've cashed two same game parlays with the Dolphins this season in the Ravens game and last week, both of which were matchups that identified. And this is something we said on the offseason preview, something we said in the week one stuff. The Dolphins are going to be very sensitive to matchups, very sensitive. And this is not one of the matchups to buy. There'll be a screaming buy in some cases, like they were last week. This is not it. Jalen Johnson's a really good corner. Jaquan Brisker and Eddie Jackson are good safeties. The secondary for the Bears is not a mess. Will they be able to generate pressure? Probably not. Certainly if there's wind involved, this is not yeah. a, a spot to buy the Dolphins passing attack. And also, if Chubb plays for the Dolphins, that just puts even more pressure on a Bears team that gives up pressure and a quarterback yeah. like Justin Fields that creates its own pressure. Synthetic pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And jumps over defenders. Yes. Not, not in a good way. <laughs> exactly. Not when he is supposed to. Play was just emblematic of one of the reasons why I just skimmed over not talking too much about last week's betting performance, just because I'm like still on tilt from so many things that just went awry. That play was just infuriating. Insanity. Um, and then there was another bet that I had even in the late afternoon slate, betting one of those super deep out of the money all unders on the Titans Texans. I had under 20 and a half plus 450. And then the Texans drive down the last 45 seconds and scores touchdown to blow that one up. And it's just can't help myself. So angry. Vikings minus three and a half at Washington over under 43 and a half. Now we see the Vikings from the consensus market power rankings perspective as a top 10 team. 
Even our drive quality has them at seven. Three and a half on the road. That doesn't make me comfortable. No, I think the spot to attack here is a live over. On on the scripted plays, I buy our drive quality. These are the number two and three defenses on scripted plays. Minnesota basically has no difference, as you can see on the Oh, on the yeah, interesting. Graph. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. And if you go back to the other graph, the offensive one, the Vikings are more or less the same, but the commanders are almost a point per drive better. So bad on the scripted plays. Off yeah. the scripted plays, that all four of those kind of angles, offenses and defenses, line up for a live over situation. Yeah, I like that angle. So basically, and what you're meaning is this game's gonna start off potentially slow and let that line drip lower and then try to take yep. advantage of a more attractive line. And that's where I could still play an alt line. It's just, you wait for that alt line to materialize and you can get maybe the market line, the 43 and a half, but you're gonna get it at plus 225. Another game with an attractive first quarter under. We can get under seven and a half minus 115. Oh, that's attractive. Panthers plus seven and a half at Cincinnati over under 42 and a half. The Bengals put in a total plunker on the road at a division foe in Cleveland. But the Falcons just put up 30 plus on the Panthers defense. Is the Bengals offense materially different without Jamar Chase? Or is this more a byproduct of it, which is a bad game? I would say the 42 and a half is the aspect there that seems exploitable. I don't feel strongly about the spread. I don't feel that strongly about the spread. I, you ask him, is this team fundamentally different with Chase or not? I'm not sure. I want to see. No way to leave. And nothing about the Panthers screams by at all. I think PJ Walker introduces a lot more variance on both ends. Right, he's going to throw that awful pick six against the uh, two linebacker, and he's also going to throw a 65-yard dime. Yeah, PJ Walker, still, his CPOE was negative 10%. EPA per play, zero. I feel like he's getting, like, a lot of positive press off that game. Listen, when he actually didn't play that well. And no, he's not certainly good. vulnerable to skew very bad. I don't know if necessarily the Bengals' defense is the one... Although the Bengals defense has generally played well this season. They lost some key players. So we talked to DJ Reader at Nausea. But you don't be a uh, True, yeah, he went out. Been a, yeah. He's been a key corner for them. Especially, I think, actually matters more in a game against the Panthers, where they really only have one good receiving option. At the end of the day, though, these are teams in, in different tiers, and I'm not willing to buy it. Panthers, one of the best on a defensive drive quality perspective. And the Bengals start relatively slow. Yeah, yeah. It's all the explosive play capacity, but it's certainly lessened without Jamar Chase. Yeah. You can look at the wide receivers like T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, who've played really well, but they benefit on an ancillary basis from the draw of someone like Jamar Chase. And maybe they right. can't necessarily do it on standalone basis. That's a great point. I think almost looking at these chart crystallizes that if you had a slight lean towards the Bengals, Probably let this one play out live in the first quarter. You understand that the Bengals probably won't get going, and you can probably get this line at least on the other side of seven. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the first quarter does go 0-0, or so just something low scoring, then you're definitely going to get the Bengals under that touchdown. Basically, what I would say, too, is there's going to be a point in time in this game where you can get Bengals minus six. Exactly. Really different than seven Exactly, which is why it is. this is one of the spots where I really don't see value betting before the game. Yeah, so if you like the Bengals, wait live, and then potentially a first quarter bet on the under, and then potentially getting a, letting that all, letting that total drip lower, and then potentially get, bet the over at a juicier price. Bills, minus 12 and a half at the Jets, over under, 47. I watched that Bills Packers game all the way through. My impression from that game was I mean, the Bills could have crushed the Packers if they wanted to, but they were just like toying with the Packers. It was just like a nonchalant, casual type game. Took a sufficient two score lead. The game was never in doubt from the perspective of the Bills actually winning. And they got a little bit reckless and careless and specifically mm -hmm. Josh Allen throwing some passes at just trying to force the issue. He certainly doesn't make those throws if this was a very close game 
or they were felt truly threatened by the Packers, which they never yeah. did. And yeah. then on the Packers side, is I just didn't like their game plan, which was one of the reasons too I felt like the Bills didn't cover, because their whole game plan was like milk clock, try to have yeah. like double digit play drives. The thing is like, they never got really within two scores. So like That's, that, that yeah. strategy was not gonna Something work. Something that bothers me. Yeah, something I really It's like they, they were playing the game to cover. Everyone on Twitter was like, oh, the Packers should have been playing this way the entire time. No, the Bills were more than happy to let you play that game plan. They were almost allowing you to succeed because they want you to run the ball and chew up a bunch of clock because they control the entirety of the game. And you're not threatening to win if you're being forced to march up the field five-yard run by five-yard run at a time. Yeah, they were efficient because the Bills wanted them to be efficient there. All of which is to say, I don't think we're going to have the same scenario play out again. I think the Bills are too smart. They know how much is at stake where you can't be having this kind of lax mistake-prone football if they want to be. This is their year. This is their Super Bowl year. Yes. They know they have to cut it out. In a divisional game, I don't think they're going to be messing around at all. I like the Bills a lot, actually. And certainly the strengths of the Jets is the defense, which is totally mitigated when you play an offense like Josh Allen. And their offenses. Ooh, this is a mismatch. Sam Darnold might be seeing ghosts under pressure. I don't know when Zach Wilson. When Zach Wilson sees pressure, it's... He's running around and throwing lollipop picks. And the Bills are, that's where they're best. They send four, they get pressure at a top clip. It's a total mismatch for Zach Wilson. I don't see that the Jets do well as an advantage towards them in this spot. So now Packers at the Lions. I did bet the Packers minus three. So now this has moved up to four. Primarily one, because again, I don't think the game plan was the right game plan to execute versus the Bills. But as far as that was the game plan that they wanted to execute, they did execute it well. And to your point, maybe the Bills really created the conditions to allow them to continue to execute that because it was to their advantage. But I liked what I saw. One of the reasons why we wanted to fade also the Packers last week was no Cobb, no Lazard. And that was some of the receivers that Rodgers had the most chemistry with. But I think he's developing a nice chemistry with Dobbs. And Dobbs made two or three really incredible catches in that yeah. game. And I understand like, maybe he's not still great at running the proper routes, getting the proper separation, but the dude is definitely an athlete. I think this is a sell-off on the part of the Packers. That's just a little bit too much. And if the Packers cannot score on Lions, then this is the game I think you can definitively say the Packers have very serious, deep offensive issues that are not correctable this season. I'm a week ahead. I think that's already happened. It just depends on how you want to flip the narrative, which is it that the Lions defense is so bad it's going to allow for the Packers to wake up? Or is the Packers offense so bad it doesn't even matter? The Packers won't be able to take advantage. I think we got a spot with the Lions at home. Their offense has played great at home. And I still think the Packers... Although it did score zero points in the second half. True. But I, a lot of that, I think, is a function of taking their foot off the gas too soon. I like the Lions here. Ugh. The Packers should not be a four-point favorite against anyone on the road. The Packers' issues are so fundamental. And I don't think a matchup with the Lions is what the doctor ordered. I'm not saying it's a get-right in the sense of correct the issues and this kind of sets them on a new path. But this can be a game that the Packers can feel better about themselves. Their implied total is 27. They haven't sniffed that number. They haven't scored 27 points until the overtime game against the Patriots and the Bears game week two. With that said, I think if you do the offense to get going, I think you bet something like Packers money line and over 23 and a half, like we But I don't like this, especially if what they showed on Sunday night was their game plan. It's just like, your offense is going to be so run heavy, I think. Yeah. It's asking for issues. You definitely could be right. Could be definitely bottom picking, trying to bet the Packers here. Trying to call bottom when you haven't necessarily seen the evidence. Again, I want to say, if you go back to our power ranking chart, we'll see that the Packers are 11th, hard draft quality slots with 29th. Huge discrepancy. What does it predict to have it at? 13? Yep. I don't think we're buying the bottom yet. I think we got to get a little lower before we buy it. Raiders minus one and a half on the road at the Jags. 
finally getting a bit of a sell-off here at the Jags. Okay, so the Raiders obviously they look terrible. Now we're getting the Jags at home, finally starting to get a little bit of points. I think I like the Jags. Yeah. We finally didn't pull the trigger on them last week. Yeah. Now do we go back? Which is why we had our break. <laughs> we were rewarded for our break. Yes. And we'll continue to be rewarded when we get them again this week. I could fully sponsor this one. It's again, it's just all the evidence suggests to keep leaning into the Jags. Yeah. And we're just getting like really unlucky. And this is somewhat of a two-sided handicap in the sense of from a macro perspective, macro sell of the Raiders, macro buy of the Jags. I don't hate also betting at Jaguars and an under. So if the Jaguars are leading this game and pushing the pace, I think it's a lot of runs, a lot of slowing down the clock. Yeah. And bleeding it out. I actually, yeah. this You're is also a, gonna get a lot of runs from the Raiders too. True, that's what they're looking to do. I actually really like that. The under- This is a very under, high total, 48. Yeah. I'd be very curious why it's actually priced that high. That is, that is weird. So this game would be like 43, 44. This is certainly an intriguing spot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Jags plus one and a half. You can under. get a Jags money line on DraftKings. Jags money line and under 47 and a half for plus 300. Juicy. Seahawks plus two at Arizona. I think this open three. Seahawks been bid. Total 49 and a half. Well, Seahawks first quarter definitely in play. You can get the Seahawks at plus 110 on the money line. I think you bet Cardinals 20 to 1 division bet, which they absolutely <laughs> need. That's the take of the long term pieces playing out in the game, and you hedge with the Seahawks money line bet. And if the Cardinals win, right, and you hold the long term prior, their odds are not going to be going to go from 20 to 1 to 7 to 1, 8 to 1. Again, a ton of value on that ticket. And they need this spot. I think that's the best way to capitalize on a on a win here. And if they can beat the Seahawks, I think it shows the type of team the Cardinals might be down the stretch. And if they lose, great. That division that is basically valueless. Maybe you'll be able to get it back to twenty to one to cash out. And you have your plus one ten. Maybe you can probably get a plus one one fifteen at principle. The first quarter. Again, looking at yeah. the drive quality, scripted versus non-scripted. Cardinals right there right. in the bottom. That's kind of almost like a yeah. structural standard bet week in, week out, fade the Cardinals yeah. first quarter. Yeah. But then especially when it's versus a team that's actually good in the first quarter. Yeah, the Cardinals are a dreadful on defense scripted also. So that lines up perfect. Yeah. And even if you want to bet the Cardinals, then you might as well wait in game yeah. and get yeah. the cards at least plus three, maybe. Yeah, if you want to buy the Seahawks, time is before the game. Yeah. Rams plus three at the Bucks. This was under a field goal, now creeped up to a field goal. Over under 42 and a half. That seems high even for this game as well. Yep. You're talking about Rams being one of the least efficient offenses in the league. And now with Cooper Cup banged up, as we talked about kind of all season, the Bucks still do have like that high ceiling. It hasn't materialized. But I don't even think the Rams have a high ceiling. No, unless they match with fix their line and secondary receiving issues. And their defense gets better. This is another live spot for me. And I think, right, if you go to our scripted stock, the Rams are fifth worst off script, still pretty good on script. And if you go to the defensive yeah. side, you look at where the Bucks are, it's not pretty. Bad scripted, good regular. Oh yeah, very nice. And I think the Bucks on offense are pretty much the same and the defense as you can see for the Rams is exactly at the average. So I wouldn't yeah. be shocked to see the Rams jump out to a lead. Yeah. And if we can get like a seven nothing lead, Rams jump out as two and a half point favorites and then we can move the line back to starting point thinking that should be priced in but it's not. That's the spot I'm looking at. I love this. This is the perfect it's lineup. Yep. Bucks bad scripted, good regular, so they come back later in the game play better defense. And if the Rams are going to score any points at all, it's going to be early. And then yep. after that, nothing. This is actually my favorite setup so far. Maybe it might be even worthwhile betting Rams plus first three. Quarter. Certainly first quarter. But betting them at the plus three, assuming that it could be a potentially close game, two teams that struggle to score. And then, yeah. but the Bucks at the plus two and a half. Potentially plus three, yeah. uh, if the Rams get that initial lead. 
Yep. And then if that like juices it. the total as well early, then to come in and bet, potentially all under. If this moves up to 45 and a half, 46 and a half, all under 41 and a half, plus 220. By the way, plus 475. Rams, first quarter money line. Bucks, game money line. Oh, yeah. That's another nice setup. Yeah, Rams first quarter, Bucks game, plus 475. That's definitely worth a roll, for sure. Titans, plus 12 and a half at the Chiefs. Do we know who's going to be quarterback? I think Ryan Tannehill's back. He said last week was a illness more than anything else. I don't hate the Titans, then. Because, again, the Chiefs are elite. The Chiefs are a top three team. But as I mentioned on previous streams, I don't feel comfortable betting the Chiefs with margin. I think that was more true in previous years. I think they're fine to extend on teams. They did it most recently versus the Niners, and they did it to open up versus an extremely banged up card team. And outside of that, they haven't done it. Bills, four-point game. game. Raiders, one-point game. Colts, three-point game. Chargers, three-point game. Yeah. Bucks, ten-point game. I'm not screaming to buy the the Chiefs. I much prefer the 12 and a half to Bills. What would again be interesting is we know what the Titans deal is. Yeah. We know what the Chiefs, I'd love to get this number down. Yeah, that's been a theme, yeah, all season. Titans, Just one built. of the Did best it. scripted teams. What's the total on the first quarter? Ooh. Can we get a little first quarter over? Yeah, over nine. On action. It's interesting. I think I'd rather bet alive, but yeah. yeah, I like it. We're saving the best for last, I think. Ravens at Saints. <laughs> Here, Ravens minus go. two and a half on the road. So you like the Saints? Yes. Okay. Here's the. Here's I think the take on one leg. Okay. Andy Dalton has been dominant. Right, he's top ten. If you look at production metrics, like top ten in EPA, top five in PFF grade. But what's most surprising is it's not like Cooper Rush was like really good in unstable areas. I play against the blitz, play under pressure. That's not this. Dalton is top five in whether they're in play from a clean pocket, early downs, plays about play action, avoid negative plays. Essentially, there's like very little evidence from 2022 to suggest that his play is fluky. Where of course, there's going to be that like expectation of, oh, it's Andy Dalton. But I think that's almost baked into the price and why it's 18. <laughs> is Dalton the savior? I don't know. If we're playing a long-term thesis, is he the quarterback I want to trot out and say, this is my top five quarterback? No, probably not. But... And this is my favorite play here, which is we get a over 23 and a half on the Saints. Combine that with the Saints alt minus five and a half at plus 310, as opposed to just taking the three, the five and a half at plus 220. If that thesis is true, right, it's not a 50-50 outcome. It's not minus 110 on each side. We're getting plus 310, which is basically just saying that Dalton is a top five quarterback right now. And in this current moment, if that's true, they're going to score more than 24 points. They're going to beat the Ravens. It's a material mispricing. And like, I'm willing to take that at plus 310. It's a massive asymmetric risk. There are also some like very intriguing matchup angles for this one. The first of which is Lamar Jackson. Basically all of his production has come against the Blitz. His expected points added to CPA is 0.27 when facing the Blitz. And it's negative 0.04 when not being blitzed. He's blitzed 40% of the time on average, but the Saints are the, one of the lowest blitz rates in the league at 17%. Okay, so I think that's a major step back for the Ravens offense. The other thing is, this has been a trend for years now. The Saints have the number one rush defense in the NFL. Last year, they were number one rush defense in EPA. The year before that, they were three. They're back in first this year. They're top five against rushing quarterbacks, which includes design runs and scrambles. They're perfectly equipped to stop what the Ravens do best. And if we're going to get Lamar Jackson in a situation where he has to pass, that essentially takes away all the value of the Ravens offense. Right In expected pass situations, Lamar Jackson is like 15th or 16th in the league. It's not a top five offense. It's a totally average offense. All of this without Rashad Bateman and a banged up Mark Andrews, not to mention that the Saints strength of their defense is their coverage linebackers with Demario Davis and Pete Warner. It's a perfect matchup. And, like, I still think there's a material mispricing because, oh, it's Andy Dalton. It's what if Andy Dalton's really good? What if he's like Geno Smith? I like it. I definitely wouldn't go as far to say there's any question 
around how good Andy Dalton is. He can be good in periods. Like, he's not rejuvenating his career potentially like Geno Smith is. So, fine. Maybe I shouldn't use the Geno example. I was just saying that <laughs> as illustrative of the type of quarterback who we all wrote off before the season as being bad. And, like, oh, he's washed. He's on his third team. He's a journeyman. It's over. And now he's actually producing really well. And we're like, huh, yeah. what's going on? And I think it's not fair to just project and say, we thought about quarterback play in 2019, or we thought about it in 2017. And all, oh, Justin Herbert's like the better quarterback. He's not playing that way right now. And this is not just a one-off. This is happening all across the league. Something materially has changed. And why wouldn't I lean into that? Maybe it's wrong. Great. I lose my principle. If I'm right, though, I'm making plus 310. Yeah. Multiples. I'm tonight. just realizing something I, which is mostly incorporated in our drive quality stuff, which I think is why these games are so high. I think people see the Saints as like, ah, it's not a great defense. They've basically generated no turnovers, which considering their talents is pretty surprising. Yeah, yeah, I um, saw that. Like one of the worst, I think it was. Yeah. Generated like, off turnovers. A standard deviation worse on the EPA off turnovers. It's third or fourth worst. The Bengals are certainly on their side. From the future's perspective, some of the pieces are certainly playing out. And in the offseason previews, I was saying the Saints were my favorite to win the division. Yes. It was 500 a couple days ago, now down to 450 on DraftKings. I'm sure you probably find slightly better prices I elsewhere. Got, it, it, was, it was 550. I bet it November 1st. You moved the line. I moved the line. I'm sure you could find better prices out there as well. At multiples like that, I think the Saints should be the second favorite. So right now the Bucks are minus 125. The Falcons are plus 225. The Saints are plus 450. We were talking about the Falcons looked attractive as a division winner at plus 700 a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Plus 225 is terrible. Yeah, Saints yeah. aren't even healthy. No. Saints can That's get so much sure. better over time. Yeah, they can get much better. What are their, oh gosh, oh gosh. I'm being talked into, what are the Super Bowl odds? Are they <laughs> oh, wow. odds? Right, I wouldn't go that far. If you give me anything more than like, 50 to 1. I love it. Not plus for Super Bowl. Conference, for conference. Plus 9,000. Ooh. Ooh. I got Been the weakness of the NFC. I could see how it could potentially be a play. Yeah, you go in and hedge it. Yeah, no, I'm not letting it ride. Yeah. But given the state of the NFC, and again, on the off chance that they figured something out with Andy Dalton and I trust that this defense, especially as it gets healthy, will be good yeah. in this NFC. Especially if they have a home playoff game because they win the division. True. That it's going to be 30 to 1. Pops. Yeah. No, I mean, that game, yeah. 15 to 1. It's great value. Yeah, you're right. The thing is, too, is in this NFC, to your point, if you get into the playoffs, it's Ooh. should be like even money. Or, like, or basically any team yeah. besides the Eagles to get to the Super Bowl. It's intriguing, I have to say. It's intriguing. Good stuff. That wraps up the Week 9 betting market outlook. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you on Sunday. Live betting. Make some cash. Take care, everyone. And that's Closing Bounds.